Hey, this is the one-man goldmine, the one-man enterprise of professional wrestling and all entertainment, Flynn Hendricks. And you better believe when I'm looking for a good podcast to listen to, I go to my own. I go to the I Know You Hear Me podcast hosted by me, Flynn Hendricks. That is such a fresh perspective for how you should look at life, too. Like, I just, I love that. And then when I'm feeling spooky, I go to my other podcast, Tales from the Haunt, where myself, yeah. I want my head shoved inside a 15-pound silicone mask more. You know, <laughs> I want to have a bucket of sweat coming off me at the end of the night. And just Jeff. Dogs don't like eggs, <laughs> I hate you so much. Talk to other scare actors about what it takes to get into the world of scare acting. So if you're curious about how people became professional wrestlers, actors, prioritized their mental health, became entrepreneurs, avoided burnout, or got into scare acting, you need to go check out I Know You Hear Me and Tales from the Haunt, available on all podcasting platforms. And I know you hear me. Tracy Smothers, Harley Race, Tim Storm, Bushwhacker Luke, Bobby Fool. The Pro, Pro Wrestling, Wrestling Vault, Vault Volume one. 1. Bill Dundee, Super Mix Hernandez, C.W. Anderson, Ricky Morton, Sir Moe, and many others share their stories of determination, triumph, and, and sorrow. sorrow. Get your book today at Russellville.com or at Amazon.com. Russellville, Wrestling like scary movies? What about science fiction and cult films? Then please visit Shocking Things. You can search for us on your favorite podcatcher. You can also go to anchor.fm slash shocking things for the main hub for the links to episodes and our social media. Now try and enjoy the daylight. Shocking Things. BST presents Mega Clash, August 20th, from the Rapola Center in Bridgeport, Connecticut. Watch newly crowned Monarch Champion Evie De La Rosa defend her title against Vina Von Starr. A rivalry reignited in the main event. Lucas Chase challenges Dustin Waller in a ladder match for the BST Championship. It all comes to a head one final time. What is going on, everybody? This is the PWZ Podcast. I am Rick Del Santo, and joining me today, the big cat, the Greenport Destroyer, Andy Nichols. We have not Where seen you in over a year, and you are here back tonight for the PWZ Podcast. Where, Welcome. I'm looking, I'm looking for this guy you're talking about. Where is he? I'm happy to have you back here, man. It's been a year, and uh, or maybe more, trying to get your ass back on here. Uh, thought that, uh, you know. Always enjoyed talking the world of professional wrestling with you, my friend. Shout out to my buddy, Big Daddy. There you go, Big Daddy. You like that? There you go. There you go. He's a big Mets fan. There you go. Uh, I'm drinking Irish ginger ale tonight. I bet you've never had that. Does your store carry that? Uh, most likely, but could you explain the difference between ginger ale and Irish ginger, ginger ale? I don't know. It just says Irish ginger ale, and I've kind of... <laughs> It, what's the name of the brand? It's a Fran, Franny's Irish Ginger Ale. They also make like a vanilla cream soda and uh, a black cherry and, and some other such flavors. Uh, but this one has become my favorite. 
Fr- Franny's, you hear that? We're looking for an endorsement deal here, okay? There Help you us go. Out. Help I'm us out. It. I'm loving it. So, uh, yeah, what's been going on in your life uh, uh, in, in that you've uh, chosen in the world of uh, professional wrestling? What have you been up with? Uh, you know, the, the, so much stuff going on right now, Rick. And, you know, you and I talk on the phone. We don't really, like like you said, we haven't done a podcast together in over well over a year, about a year and a half probably. Yeah. But, um, man, the world of wrestling's changed a lot in that year and a half, hasn't it? It's gotten crazy. I mean, um, live events have started happening again. I think when you and I were were uh, doing podcasts on a somewhat regular basis back then, live events weren't completely happening. I don't think there was any uh I don't think there was. No. And I think WWE was uh, still doing the Thunderdome. Is that what it was called? I can't even remember that far back. Jesus. <laughs> and I think that uh, AEW was doing the employees only in the crowd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um... Yeah, a lot has changed. I mean, we we thought that was like, we thought that was the craziest point in pro wrestling. And as month by month, things get crazier and crazier. I mean, I'm sure you talked about Vince, and you talked about all the all the ongoing stories there, Triple H, Stephanie. So we're not going to rehash all that, but it's just it's crazy, man. Like the last two or three years of pro wrestling, it's just like nonstop. Like, what's going to happen next week? You know what I mean? Uh, just give the last month alone. You know, like you said, the Vince story, but now we found out. Uh, and then there was obviously like Sasha and Naomi, and God knows how much of that is, you know, whatever, legit, whatever, or what what's going on with them. I heard there's rumors about them coming back soon, and but we'll have to see. But of course, one of the things that I want to bring up because I don't think you and I have really discussed it much. Uh, we haven't discussed it on the show because we uh, well, there hasn't been a show all week, so uh, so I'm glad you're here. So this subject, which I wanted to bring up, was that Johnny Laurinaitis had been released, but uh, it wasn't announced, but it was confirmed uh, earlier this week by Mike Johnson, a PW Insider. Yeah, I, I, I think we talked about that on the phone the other night. It, it, it was just like we all kind of knew it was going to happen. It was it was a foregone conclusion. But, yeah, they, they didn't really – Make, there was no fanfare about the announcement. It was just kind of like, okay, next, forget about this guy. You know what I mean? We all yeah. know it was going to happen. It, it wasn't a big shock. But. Yeah, I guess they're uh, just finally living up to their, you know, as more and more information comes out about the that uh, but, subject. You and, know, you know, and, and, you know, that that's all part and parcel with the whole Vince uh, scandal and everything. But on the brighter side of things, that now – Every day there's new news with Triple H. You know, there's like you yeah. said, rumors of Sasha and and Naomi coming back. Uh, we saw Dexter Loomis come back. We saw Killer Cross, Carrying Cross, come back last Friday night. A huge spot, huge. Yeah, both yeah. guys actually, because Dexter Loomis came on at the end of the show too. Um, and I think they're trying to create some buzz and stir maybe with the internet fans by doing that Dexter Loomis thing. You know, and. Now the latest rumor for tomorrow night, if, if you haven't heard it, is that Top Dollar might be showing up. Really? Yeah, and um, pardon me, I apologize, but the other, um, the other guy in the, in in the Hit Row stable, Adonis, I can't remember his last name. That he's supposed to be coming with him, so we'll see what happens with that. But it okay. seems like Triple H is kind of like bringing his people back in, bringing his troops back together. You know what I mean? 
Uh, I'm glad that you you mentioned that the the Killer Cross, Carrion Cross, excuse me, and uh, Dexter Loomis. There was a uh, Carrion Cross came back with a huge impact. I thought um, it was done very well. Uh, the crowd kind of uh, went a little nuts for it. I, at least I think they did. The Dexter Loomis thing. If you were watching AJ in the ring, it was just kind of something that happened in the background until. Uh, WWE had posted on social media and YouTube where they posted up closer shots of it. But if you were watching as a fan on your couch, you would have just saw security over at the barrier pulling a guy away. And that was it. Well, that's kind of what I was saying. I think like the Loomis thing was to try to get the internet buzz going. Like, what's this going on? Who's that guy in a crowd? What happened? And yeah. then you see it's Dexter Loomis. So you, you, you have all now you're involved in it. You're excited about what's going on in the crowd, and then you can attach it to a superstar or a wrestler. Can we call them wrestlers now? We can do that, right? I think we're allowed to. That uh, Those are no <laughs> longer uh, wrestling and wrestler and uh, are no longer banned words So as of last week. So Loomis, who's kind of been sitting on the sidelines doing some indie work and such, now all of a sudden he's got a huge buzz because it was a controversial segment, you know? Yeah, and if you – um. The, the announcer kind of like said sort of under his, uh, you know, away from the microphone, but you can hear them just enough to, to try to get the attention that is that Dexter Loomis, like kind of to that tone. Then as you see security pulling him away, you don't really see it on the raw footage, but if you see it on the social media uh, closer up footage as they're pulling him away, you can kind of hear the crowd going uh, a little bit crazy and getting behind it. So uh, that part I liked. And I think it's going to be interesting because I think we're going to see a lot of that, um, you know, playing to the, you know, the the internet crowd, the, the Twitter crowd, you know, trying to create buzz. Um, because, you know, and we, we've talked about this before, too, and I, I know I keep saying that, right? Oh, we talk about this, we talk, but we do. Um, like, that's the new way to get heat is through Twitter and, you know, involving real-life storylines. Now, what's a real-life storyline? Dexter Loomis got released. Dexter Loomis lost the job. Now he pops up in the crowd. What's he doing here? You know what I mean? And I think we're going to see more booking like that, you know, uh, playing to the internet audience, trying to get some buzz that way. Uh, so both weeks, basically, we saw Triple H guys come back, basically guys that were released during the pandemic and the uh, Nick Khan, Vince, uh, I almost called him Russo, Vince McMahon era towards the end. H has taken over, and it seems that it's going in a whole nother direction. He's bringing these guys that he really believed in. And my other question is, what do you think is going to happen with NXT? Do you think that it's going to go back to uh, the way it was, or they're going to keep this, uh, you know, as like a super indie, or do you think it's going to go towards the developmental that they've been for what almost a year now? You know, that's a very good question. I just I just read an article. Uh, I guess Shawn Michaels did an interview and he 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 took the whole he took the heat. He took the brunt of the whole new face of NXT. He, he said it, he said there's no way Vince and Bruce Pritchard were involved creatively. It was it all went through Shawn Michaels and his crew would you know, he, he was he was the head of that. And he said if good, bad or indifferent, he says on the bottom line to NXT. Um, I do think you're going to see him continue that. I do think you're going to see Triple H maybe have some influence and say, hey, get some more of the main roster guys, a little crossover. 
which they've done before, but I think we might see more of it. I hope so anyway, because I think it's cool when you see like an Apollo Crews kind of go get a fresh start or even a Dolph Ziggler, guys who are just really good talent, but they're they're stale on the main roster and, you know, go freshen them up. And, and you know, it's kind of like uh, if you remember, you know, we didn't know it so much back then, but WWE would send talent to like Paul Heyman and say, hey, here's Al Snow. We need you to do something with his character. Right. So the Al Snow would take him to ECW, revamp him, and then you get a fresh Al Snow coming back to WWE later on, you know. So maybe we'll see some of that. I think it happened in OVW as well. He would send guys down there to work or sometimes with independence and uh, such like that. So it would end up working, you know, like you said, if they got a little stale on the main roster, they need uh, to work with a little bit different talent and just, uh, I guess, get reignited, so to speak. See, we live... We live in a different era, so you can't like you can't take a guy who works, you know, the New York territory, send him to Memphis for six months, right. put a new coat of paint on him, bring him back because everybody sees everything, whether it's on YouTube or a streaming service, everything's out there. You know what I mean? So it's a lot tougher in this day and age. So you have to be a little more creative uh, in finding ways to to freshen up talent. People are out there with their cell phones recording some indie shows and they end up on YouTube and such, all that kind of stuff. So it's hard to hide like it did in back in the day. Like you said, the territory system, guy got stale in Georgia, they'd send him to Oregon or, or New York for a few months. So it's a whole different beast uh, in, in uh, the, what, the last 15, 20 years. It's, it's, the, it's the internet is what it is. Absolutely. Like you talked about, you know, sending guys to OVW or sending, you know, they send guys to Memphis all the time. And you, you, you can't do you can't you can't do that with NXT because it's right there on the same network. You know, it's right there on network television. So you can't hide it. But I think fans are smart enough to understand it's a different product. So if you bring somebody over there that they are going to develop a different character, or they might change or adapt a little bit. And I think fans will accept that. Speaking of territories, what do you think? Uh, now, I guess Vice has uh, announced that uh, there's going to be a TV show with the extension of uh, from Dark Side of the Ring. Uh, I guess it's the same producers. The Rock is going to be involved. It's going to be called uh, Death of the Territories. Uh, dude, first of all, everything The Rock touches turns to gold. Um, second okay. of all, all the work that these guys who have done the Dark Side of the Ring uh, episodes has been tremendous. Now, I know. The most recent season was a little more controversial, uh, you know. The you know people people getting getting on him about the flare episode or the, or the plane ride episode and all. But the guys do you know they, they do their research. Hopefully they'll have um, the participation because I know a lot of people started saying they're not going to work with them as much since you know the fallout with Tommy Dreamer, Ric Flair, and all those guys. Uh, but I think with Rocky behind it, you, that's going to open up even more doors in a lot of ways. You know what I mean? Excuse me, I misspoke. It's a tale of the territories. Uh, oh, okay. Territories. My bad, my bad. So, shame, shame, um, shame. Well, that changes no. my whole opinion. My opinion changes now. <laughs> but, so, but you know I, what I mean? No, I get what you're saying. Um, I'm very interested because really that's like my favorite era. Of course, growing up, you and I uh, growing up we're, were roughly around the same age. That the territories were really dying at the time. It's probably the... There was uh, very few of them left growing up. We were basically based in New York, but or excuse me, Connecticut, but like the long, I'm Connecticut, you're New York. 
Northeast. But the biggest company out of the Northeast was taking over the entire world at that time as we were growing up, killing off every other territory. Uh, There was very few, I think, was it uh, Don Owen was the last uh, remaining territory? Maybe it was Northwest. Uh, okay. Yeah. Pacific I'm not hundred percent sure. Well, Mem- I mean, Memphis carried on though. That's true too. They carried on, so, they carried on well into the late nineties, I believe. Right. And, right, and I believe yeah. Corey Macklin tried to continue Memphis wrestling in the, uh, two thousands. You remember? And there, were, and there were so. different incarnations and stuff, but, uh, yeah, that, that, that was pretty continuous. Um, but you're right. I mean, I remember being a kid watching, you know, in the eighties watching WWE, you know, uh, you know, WWF, uh, you know, Hulkamania era. And all of a sudden you're starting to see like, it showed like little videos for like Mr. Wrestling two or the spoiler, uh, you know, junkyard dog, whoever. And next thing you know, with the exception of JYD, most of those guys were just coming in and they were glorified jobbers, like guys like Mr. Wrestling 2 and the spoiler, you know. Right. It was very weird times. You'd read about these guys in the magazine and you saw them as these big monster stars. And then Vince would get them in and say, Yeah, you know what? They're not going over my guys. Look at that. You know, um, Dirty Dick Slater was a huge star in the territories. Comes into WWF in what, 1987 as the Rebel. The Rebel. They tried building him up as this, uh, you know, southern baby face, and it just didn't work, <laughs> you know. Uh, the, the, so it happened, and then a lot of guys, like you said, they would come and bring guys in and job them out. Look at uh, Mr. Electricity, Steve Regal, somebody like that, you know, former AWA light heavyweight champion, and he went in there, and he's sitting there jobbing out every week on, on uh, national TV. But I'm sure the paychecks were very nice, though. Yeah, I will say this about Stephen Regal, and not to shoot a hole in your uh, in your example, but um, Mr. Electricity, it was almost he was almost like the Denny Brown of the AWA in a sense that if you look at the results, he wasn't winning a whole lot of matches. He if he happened to fight another junior heavyweight, then he'd win. But but then again, he was a tag team champion with Jim Garvin, if you remember that. They, I Correct. think they beat the Road Warriors, didn't they? I believe you're controversially, yeah. of course. But. What are you talking about? It's no controversy in professional wrestling. Not going up against the Road Warriors, but yeah, no, it was it was funny. Like you like you said, you start seeing these guys. Even you know a guy probably people don't remember, but like a, a Spike Huber from Missouri, he was like a, yep. you know, one of the big stars. That t- I'd see him in the results all the time. He'd be main eventing, winning matches, and all of a sudden he shows up on WWE TV. He's a, he's a jobber. It's just it's crazy, man. It was it was a crazy time, very crazy time. I mean, you'd see guys. From it's funny because sometimes you'd see guys say, from say like the NWA or WCW, whatever, White Lightning, Tim Horner. He's uh, now mind you, he wasn't like fantastic in the in the NWA. He was a very good at what he did. He was very fast, had really great matches. But he'd come into the WWE and he was jobbing out every single week. <laughs> you know, but he would do, he would do good in the uh, television title. Uh, uh, what do they call it? Uh, a category, but uh, whatever it is at that time period. And it's just like guys like that, they would uh, get really good recognition in the National Wrestling Alliance or the, even the AWA, and they would come over and Vince would look at them just like, nobody knows who you are. Bob, Bob Bradley was the Texas heavyweight champion. He comes in the WWF and he's jobbing every week right after his uh, Texas title reign. And then you had, remember guys like Ron Bass. Vince would bring in like Ron. There's a bunch of them, man. Vince would bring in like a guy like Ron Bass, and he was in these blood feuds in Florida and in the Carolinas, and then he's basically a 
a mid carder at best, you know, once he gets the WWE. Yeah. Black Bart was world class yes. champion in mid Atlantic champion, I believe. He comes in and he's a uh, jobbing every week to getting annihilated by the Road Warriors in 1989 <laughs> so, or 1990, I should say. So. It's uh, it's it's crazy, man. It's really wild to to think about guys that like you would see on one show, like you said, in bloody feuds, crazy feuds, and then come in and just get the shit kicked out of them every week by a different, you know. And, and you know, then there's then there's an example like the Bushwhackers. It's like you and I. I I'm speak. I shouldn't speak for you, but I'm gonna guess you're like me. You didn't. You'd rather have the sheep herders over the Bushwhackers. <laughs> And one of the things is, of course, you know, I discovered the, them a little bit later, but I do remember their tenure in, like, say, uh, was it the UWF, and then yeah, coming over to, the, yeah, and then coming over to the NWA, having that intense bloody feud with the Fantastics, uh, you know, and then all of a sudden they come in. It's just like, wait a second, that's the sheep herders. They're bopping their heads, bopping their arms, and they're just like doing this comedy stuff. I'm like, what the hell's going on here? Which but is got, funny. Huh? But you could look at them. They got the scars in their head from all the blood and and all that stuff. It's just they made them this comedic. I, I don't know how Vince thought that these guys were marketable, but he found a way. He found and, a way. And, and it was funny because you know, as being older now and kind of looking at things from a different angle, it's like at the time I hated it, but now I look back and I'm like, good for those guys because they didn't have to bleed and, and, and get stuck in barbed wire every night. They could just go around and, 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 and lick foreheads and, and do the whole, you know, and, and have an easy five minute match and go home, you know? So good for them at that point in their career. I think a lot of guys were happy at that time because they saw the money. They saw that there was on cable TV. They saw that they were going to be getting paid a super ton of money. And they were like, well, I don't care how long it is. I'm going to take this money here while it's offered. And guess what? I get to barely do shit. Not to say that they barely did anything, but it's like they don't have to be wrapped in barbed wire. They don't have to be blading. They don't have to be having these insane matches like, you know, the sheep herders or, or uh, like you said, Black Bart was, uh, was another one that had, or, or uh, Ron Bass was another one that had crazy bloody matches. Yeah, and it's if you look at that era, it's just like um, I don't I don't think work rate was the same as now. Like we live in a work rate era now, where you know everybody bases everything on work rate. They don't care about the character. But 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 there is more like the believability. Like once you came to WWF, WWF, believability wasn't as much of a factor. Uh, you know, it's like right. they were the characters are more outlandish for Wilder. You had guys like Outback Jack running around, the genius Lanny Poffo running around. So it wasn't like, you know, the NWA at the time or Mid-South even or UWF was like Macho Man against Macho Man. And I don't mean Randy Savage. I just mean, you know, two tough guys, and, you know, and, and they're going to have a contest to see who's the biggest and the baddest. and who's, WWE was just kind of like, okay, who's the craziest character? You know, at that right. period. Right. It was. Yeah. Who, who was. I mean, don't forget that this stuff was just starting in the 80s. Don't forget into the 90s. It got a little bit crazier up until what was it? 1994, 95, where everybody had a secondary gimmick, a secondary job like uh, uh, Duke the Dumpster Drosy and uh, the Body Donnas and stuff like that. It only it only got crazier as time went on. Yeah, Doink the Clown and, the, you know, all that stuff, you know. IRS, Mike Rotunda. I, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, Which is funny because like you get a guy like Rotunda, and that's kind of what speaking to what you said earlier. It's like you get a guy like Rotunda who everybody knows from he's been in every single territory. But you know, that's that's that Vince thing. And and he still did it up until his retirement, and people still act shocked by it. But he has to put his stamp and his brand on everything. Yeah. It's all all about uh copyright. And, and and merchandising and and such like that because of him for him rather he um it's just a really crazy thing that he just needed to do all that stuff he would take a very well-known wrestler and just change him somebody that's been there before such as uh uh mike rotunda he was there in the former tag team champion he yeah. had two runs prior to the irs gimmick and came back people you know well, dan spivey was there too uh just in any Harry Wyndham, the widow maker and the, you know, yeah. um, but you know, getting back to the start of this conversation, we're talking about triple H and Stephanie. And, and I think that's something we're going to see less of now. I think that I, I hope that triple H is going to let guys come in and say, Hey, you're so-and-so on the Indies. You built your name. We want you for the name that you've built. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, a lot of times, and I think that had something to do with the reason why certain guys would not sign there. Catch me what I'm saying? Guys like Omega and guys like uh, the Bucks and, and stuff like that, they all had shots to get in there, but I think that they wanted to build their their, their own brand, etc. but they wanted to change them to that cartoon. Sammy Callahan, the same thing happened with him that he, uh, that's the reason why he ended up uh taking the door out uh, as well when he was in NXT. He did, they just didn't, uh, he did not, none of them wanted to be changed into that uh, WWE um, system, I guess, the, the, the cartoon gimmick or not even that it's cartoony now, but it's, you know, it's uh, their brand. So well, the rebrand, yeah, the rebranding of uh, as soon as you walk in the door, they got to rebrand you, you know? And I think, I think, again, I think Triple H is going to kind of move away from that. I think he's going to let guys kind of take, you know, for what, what they've built on the indies over the years. If, if they are indie wrestlers, he'll let them bring it in with them. But I still think they're going to develop the, um, the, the athletes who, who are not from a pro wrestling background, too. I think they're going to kind of find a, a middle ground so that they can. I mean, you got to remember, too, a lot, a lot of guys, you know, that we see now were not indie, was Brock Lesnar was not an indie wrestler. Bobby Lashley was not an indie wrestler to start his career. You know, they were guys who came to WWE and they were molded into pro wrestlers. You know, they were did, athletes. Did Bobby you know. go through the uh, OVW system at the time? Um, yeah, I believe he did. If you remember uh, when we just, when we talked to our friend Chili Willie uh, about a year and a half ago, he, he talked about, I believe, being there with Bobby. And, um, right. That's right. Yeah, I remember Brock. Definitely. And I've, I've heard Cornette talk about experience of Bobby in OVW too. So, okay. Yeah, I believe that. Uh, I remember Brock because Brock had like a didn't he have a notable feud in uh, OVW with Cena, if I remember correctly. He may have. I wasn't watching it so much at the time, but yeah, it's you know. And again, Brock was not an independent wrestler. He he was an amateur wrestler. He was a college re collegiate wrestler, and they recruited him. Jim Ross recruited him, and he brought him in, and. You know, next thing you know, I mean, so I think you're going to see indie wrestlers, but I think they're still going to develop uh, other athletes with no indie experience as well. I think they're going to they're kind of cross cross over with both. I think that's uh, possible, but obviously, if you've uh, you know, I know you've been on the uh, internet reading as of late uh, some of the stories that they've had 
where they just recently had a tryout uh, or a performance center tryout. And a lot yeah. of these guys, he said, what made them decide to go back to hiring indie wrestlers because there was the rule that was set, what, last year, earlier this year, that they're, they're not going to be looking at indie wrestlers anymore. There's no way that these they're not going to hire. So last – so. Uh, I guess the tryout, the most recent tryout, was not very good. There was a lot of, uh, you know, they, they just wanted to go for straight athletes and, and entertainers or whatever. And some of these guys ended up getting hurt and injured, concussed. So they said, fuck this. I'm going to start but, looking at indie wrestlers again. We know, you know, some of these guys know what they're doing. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I think they're going to do a lot more of that. But, I mean, you also look at, um, you, know, you know, your Ronda Rousey's, your Bianca Belair's. They weren't indie wrestlers. You know what I mean? So, yes. so I, I think th there is potential to still bring in some athletes. Uh, but, you know, to, to solely do that and totally disregard the independent scene, that that, that was no way that was going to happen for long. No way. No. But, you know, um, even still at that time period, you know how many times Vince has changed his mind and went back on doing things uh, after he decided that he was unhappy with the way things were? I'm sure if he had a, a tryout that if he had the same situation, he probably would have been like, well, screw this. This just isn't working. Maybe. I, I think that um, one of the telltale signs, and this is this is way before Vince, uh, you know, announced his retirement, but, uh, you know, the signing of Cody Rhodes. Because mm -hmm. here you are, you're going back to, I mean, Cody, is look, look where he comes from. Right. I mean, his, he's as pure a wrestler as you can get in the sense of a wrestling background and history, you know. And they, they brought him in as Cody Rhodes. They they let, you know, they acknowledge his history. So I, I think that was kind of like the first the first sign, like, ooh, things might be turning back to that direction, you know. They brought in, uh, they let him use his uh, AEW music that was written for him there. So the sign of acknowledging his past that that was that was written into his contract i believe that he wanted to acknowledge his history etc and that he had some of his creative say and, and you in. have to wonder if you remember uh, how how long that, that the negotiations went with that you got to wonder if all this stuff wasn't weren't kind of holding up the works like if cody was like yeah if you can't give me this i'm not coming and vince saying well i'm not i don't want to give you that and then, you know, prolong, maybe it prolong the uh, negotiations a little bit. Who knows? I mean, we'll never know, but he's there obviously. now. And yeah. I mean, obviously, like you said, we'll never know, but there was rumors. It's like, oh, I don't, I don't think it's happening. You know what I mean? It just, it seems like it's not happening. It's taking too long, but you know, when that, uh, on that day, when his music hit and he came out from under the stage, like that entire arena went entirely crazy. They which, which, absolutely yeah. went nuts. They loved it. Which, which again, it's like a year ago, you wouldn't have expected. We wouldn't, you wouldn't, if somebody told told you we were going to have this conversation about WWE and indie wrestlers and Triple H being in charge and Cody coming back, a year ago, we would have both said, you're nuts. It's not happening. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, so it's exciting. It's really exciting. Um, did you catch any of Dynamite last night? <laughs> uh, it's funny that you said that. But uh, I'm going to go with the word no. I did not. Um, I know you text me. Now, mind you, I had uh, I was working, and I ended up getting a little bit under the weather when I came home from work. Normally, you know, I catch uh, I miss about the first half hour of it, 
Me and Marcel usually go live Thursdays and discuss it, but uh, he was unable to today, so I didn't end up watching it. So, um, I you text me saying that it was a train wreck, basically, and <laughs> and then uh, I went to work today, and a couple people there were just like literally telling me that the same exact thing that it was not a good episode at all. That there was some good moments, there was some good matches, but as a whole, it was not. Uh, not that great. My memory, if any, if, if if you know me, my memory is not that good. Um, so I can't go match for match, match segment by segment on on the show. I will say I texted you during the um, the opening match, which was um, Darby Allen and Brody King. Okay, uh, Brody King's really growing on me. I actually like Darby Allen too. I think he's just very different. Yeah. Um, but dude, they, they were bleeding like two or three minutes into the match already. And I'm not talking about, I mean, they were just hardcore bleeding already. Um, to me, I think AEW for me is kind of crossing the line over uh, the shock value line. It's like, it seems to me when I watch that program, everything is done for shock value, not for good wrestling. Um, and there is some good wrestling. I'm not saying there isn't, but it's like, to have this brawl to open up the show and you're bleeding. And then I, from what I hear, I didn't see, I didn't stay tuned till the very end, but apparently they were bleeding all over in the Jericho uh, Moxley match yeah. at the very end too. And it's like, you know, sometimes less is more. And if I see blood in like every other match, it's going to mean a whole, it's not going to mean a whole lot to me after a while, you know, it's just going to become part of the whole, you know, oh, yeah, they're bleeding again. I, I mean, think not only that, but during that match, it was like, you know, all of a sudden, house the lights go out. Yep. For maybe a good ten seconds, a house of black appears. Then the house of black has to get in the ring and start beating up Darby Allen, and then Sting comes out, and it was, it felt very uh, Russo, WCW, NWO ish in a lot of ways. Uh, it's just, just overbooked. That's the thing with AEW. I really enjoyed it for quite some time from the beginning. Uh, some of it I find, you know, uh, me and you are somewhat similar in a way that we like very traditional professional wrestling in a way. Mm-hmm. It's the way we, it's the way how, when we brought up, we're brought up rather, that's what we watched. But as time goes on, it's like watching a car crash each and every week between. There's got to be blood every week. There's got to be a shocking moment every week. There's got to be a surprise every week. There has to be another surprise every week. The backstage segments, the interviews, the angles, some of that stuff is not very good. It's not entertaining, uh, some of the backstage stuff. The matches themselves, I think, hold up. For, for the most part, and, and I'm sorry to cut you off again. I'll let you Not take good. this in a second. But I think the matches themselves, for the most part, are generally, generally very good. It's just, it's the other stuff that's trying to sell the show that's not doing a very good job of selling the show. So, and, and like you said, that there's blood every week or there's certain things that, like you said, less is more. And that's how you build the product. It's like watching... If you're watching CZW every week, what the hell's going on there? There's a death match each and every week. You're not you're gonna get tired of death matches. 
You hear what I'm saying? Yeah, and and you know there used to be the old golden rule in pro wrestling, and I, I know TV formats change everything. And you know it kind of like what, what I'm talking about is like you used to be you had the the lowest prelim match, and you built up to the main event, right? Yeah. Right. So it was like right. least important, and then it would go up a little bit, and then you had the most important at the end of the night. I know TV formats and everything change that, so you don't always open up with a prelim match. Sometimes you open up with a hot match or whatever. But um, there used to be, you know, there used to be the golden rule: like if there's blood in the main event, you don't bleed in any other match. You, they, they, you know, if they're going to brawl in the main, if they're going to brawl outside the ring in the main event, you don't brawl outside the ring in the previous matches. You, that way, when it finally happened at the end of the night. It was more shocking. It was more like whoa. But when you see it in every match leading up to it, it just it, it numbs you. It, you know, it desensitizes yes. you. Yeah. And uh, like I said, Brody, Brody King, and um, and Darby Allen, I, I'd love to watch those guys wrestle almost any night of the week. But like they didn't, the, 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 they didn't have to have everybody get involved. Everybody does run-ins. You know, your boy, and then you know, then they had a little a. Uh, Vignette later on with the, with the uh, Billy Billy and the Ass Boys and your boy Danhausen there. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to bust your balls about Danhausen, but my God, why is that guy on national television? Um, I don't know. It's like you know they really Tony Khan could really benefit from from uh, somebody to really come in there and help him produce a, a, a more fluid show. Put together a great series of matches. Let the main event be the main event. Let that, you know what I'm saying? Build that up as if it's the main event. Hype it up throughout the entire match or evening. You don't have to have blood. You don't have to have chairs. Every show has chairs, tables, some sort of weapon. Every segment has an angle. Every segment has a run-in. It's just way too much. Way too because my you know I'm I'm sitting here the next day I, and I got a bad memory anyway but it's like I I I couldn't remember if you would have called me at eleven o'clock last night I couldn't remember half of what I saw just too much overbooked uh too much now when we grew up watching things like WWF superstars and wrestling challenge or or worldwide wrestling a lot of it was just prelim matches for yeah. an entire for an entire hour. We'd get prelim matches once in a while. I mean, NWA had a more so you'd get like a somewhat uh, television main event where it'd be two, you know, mid-card guys most of the time. You know what I mean? NWA featured it more, not so much WWF. You, you'd have to you'd stay up on Mondays to watch primetime to see something like that. So, but they had ways of building it up through the interviews and such that made you care about the product. And made you interested in getting to that live event because that's where the stuff really happened. AEW does this, and I'm not saying WWE is not guilty of it. WWE is guilty of it as well, but they they just try to do everything they possibly can on television so that you don't click that channel because they want you to stay tuned. And a lot of it is personal opinion, pure garbage. I'm just going to say, you know, it all, it all changed in the late nineties. Uh, you know, what you're saying was the blueprint. It was kind of like you, you had your job matches and then you had a, a main event with a, not even a, not even like a true main event. You might have, uh, 
you know, a future uh, matchup. You Andre know, the Giant against Sweet Hansen or something like that. Right. Everybody knew Sweet Hansen was going to lose, but he would win a match here and there. So, but the, the the point was though, when Andre fought Blackjack Mulligan or Big John Stud, you you wanted to go buy a ticket to see it at the arena because you'd never see that match on TV. Right. You know, in the late nineties, it became more uh, ratings driven, where all of a sudden they had to you know pump these ratings up so that they can get these better TV deals. So all of a sudden you're seeing, you know, people like Stone Cold, people like The Rock wrestling every week on TV, you know. And so so the blueprint that you speak of, I, I, I thought that was best for selling tickets to the arenas. But uh, as we've moved forward, selling the tickets to the arena isn't as important as the TV ratings, you know, and right. the pay-per-view buys, I guess. Right. One of the things that is that they would always do the hype. They would always do the localized hype ads. You know, I'd watch and you'd see the New Haven Coliseum or Hartford Civic Center. You'd probably get what Nassau Coliseum where you live. Yeah. Ads Garden, or, Garden, yeah. Yeah. And so it was exciting when they said, hey, WWF is coming to the New Haven Coliseum and Hulk Hogan's going to fight. I don't even know the big boss man or whoever. It was exciting and they would hype it and then they show the localized promos. You'd sit there and beg your I mean, obviously, we we're kids at the time. You'd sit there and beg your parents to go buy a $10, $20 ticket just to take you. You can take the entire family for $100 back then. You know, it's, it's you know, to go back even further, like the Bob Backlund era, let's say, okay? So you'd see Bob Backlund, and then he'd get attacked. On, you know, he'd, he'd come out. It was so funny because he would come out and do, like, he'd come out at the beginning of the program and say, for the next hour, I'm going to do this uh, Harvard step test to prove my stamina. I'm going to do it at ringside. So he'd be there through every prelim match. You know, maybe a heel would come by and kind of say something to him or snicker at him, but, you know, just to show that they were the heel and he was the face. And then in the main event, you know, the mass superstar come defeat Salvatore Belomo, and then he'd go and attack Bob Banklin and leave him laying on the floor. So what do you want to do? you got to buy a ticket to go see him at your local arena. You got to see Bob get his revenge against the man superstar, right? That's how it used to work. Yeah. And like you said, now it's like house shows don't even matter, even though they do happen, you know, uh, during the pandemic, they stopped uh, live events, house shows. They started doing them again, but I guess they're just definitely way less than they are. But everything is, man, I need to go to the next Monday Night Raw. I need to go to the next Dynamite. I need to go to the next SmackDown because I need to know I need to be there in person if it's going to happen. But not for nothing, nothing is driving me to go to Raw or SmackDown or even Dynamite. I went to one Dynamite. I uh, It was a pretty decent show, but I wasn't, you know, nothing's telling me, uh, you know, they've come to New York, I think, twice since and about an hour away. I could have gone. But nothing was telling me I needed to go to that. You know, you, you know what I mean? I've, I've been to a, a few house shows since I moved to North Carolina back in 2008, but the last major production, whether it be a Raw or a, a pay-per-view, the, the last, was in 2008 up in New York. And looking back on it, it wasn't as bad then. I think it's worse now um, yeah. as far as the, the, the live action. But even back then, it was like you'd sit there for, for a three-hour, two- or three-hour Raw, whatever it was at the time, and it was like – you're sitting there, you're watching segments on the big screen, you can't even hear what they're saying, the acoustics are bad. And it's just like, looking back at it now, I'm like, 
I don't know if you could pay me to go to see like Raw or SmackDown tape. You know what I mean? There's just so much dead time in the arena. It's just I'll stay at home. I went to SmackDown once last year and I went to Survivor Series. They were both on the same weekend. I went to uh, it was Survivor Series two days before, I mean, excuse me, SmackDown two days before Survivor Series. And the reason why I ended up in at Survivor Series the morning of uh, SmackDown is a friend of my wife's who's a huge WWE fan asked me if I wanted to go. She's like, we can get, you know, they got $30 tickets in Brooklyn. So I said, and why the hell not? Why the hell not? Can I tell you, I'll never make that trip ever again between the drive. You told me, you told me that. Sitting in the arena, uh, the seating in that Barclay Center is atrocious for a gentleman of my size. Uh, there's no leg room because I, I am tall. Um, and it just was not a good show. There was nothing selling me on. I thought the SmackDown was way better. I mean, it wasn't a fantastic uh, show by any means, but I thought it was off the charts better than uh, uh, Survivor Series was for sure. The two dark matches I thought were better. Uh, than anything. Um, I just lost my train of thought. But uh, <laughs> no, no, that's what I was going to say is, you know, so I'm going to contradict myself here, but You're house good. shows, if you go to a house show to kind of, for the most part, kind of run of the mill, you're not going to, you're not going to see any major chain title changes. Who knows? Maybe the new regime will start doing crazy stuff like that. But you know, you know, you're just going to see the the general show. That's all you're going to get. It's like going that to the circus. Being, that basically. being yeah, but that being said, um, you know, we went back in that we went back in January at Fayetteville. You watch them at the house shows, and it's a whole different atmosphere. The cameras are off. The wrestlers are having fun. They're interacting with the fans at rings. I mean. When I say interacting with the fans at ringside, they're stopping and signing stuff while they're, you know, coming to and exiting the ring. So, uh, you know, if you have a young family, something house shows the way to go to me. It's yeah. you know, it's probably going to be cheaper. Uh, it might be a little more interactive if you can get that close down there. It's uh, when I was younger, I always enjoyed going to house shows. Uh, way more than going to say television tapings. I, I enjoyed television tapings. There was something, there was a different atmosphere. You'd probably get maybe six matches, right? Five, six matches on a house show, maybe seven. The thing with that always struck me is you got to see preliminary guys go out there that would normally get squashed in three minutes on television. You'd see them go out there for 15, 20 minutes and work a professional wrestling match. You got to see, uh, let's see, Jimmy Powers and Iron Mike Sharp. You got to see Paul Roma and Bob Bradley work for 20 minutes, uh, stuff like that. And I, and that was always something that's what convinced me, Hey man, those guys are actually really good wrestlers, you know, as you go, opposed to go ahead. You go back and watch like a lot of the MSG house shows from the early eighties, yeah. Eddie Gilbert, Kurt Hennig, uh, Salvatore Belomo, all these guys were in opening matches. They're going to, you know, there's one, you know, that I love to death. It's, it's Eddie Gilbert against SD Jones, and they're, they they go to a 20 minute Broadway, a babyface Broadway, 20 minutes to open the show. And it's like the, those matches, you know, they were just great matches. There was most of them didn't have any kind of background or storyline to them. Right. Those guys worked their butts off for 10, 15, sometimes 20 minutes. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, you got to see Tony Gurria. Uh, there was one that I watched from the 70s. I'm trying to, it was Tony Gurria opening up the show against, uh, you know, another guy. I can't think offhand, but it was just like, damn. I said, this is a really great technical match. I said, this is, and the crowd literally at that time didn't seem to care. That's the weird part about it. <laughs> they never cared about the opening matches a lot of times. But yeah, it's it's a different it's a different time, man. And yeah, do we don't even have you know it's funny because we don't even have like when we were kids, you could tune in every week and you'd see Pete Sanchez or you'd see yeah, you know, you knew who the job you knew yeah. who they were, right? Now yeah. it's kind of like they'll find a local guy for the one night and he'll come out, you know, and and you know they only do it with certain wrestlers, though. Veer Mahan being probably the most recent, you know, you bring in the local guy, Veer Mahan, Veer, Veer Mahan squashes them in, in a minute, and you know. But they don't have they don't really have a roster of, of, of uh, jobbers or ham and eggers as Bobby Bobby the Brain would say, God rest his soul. But um, so again, yeah. yeah, the business is just changing and evolving, and old guys like you and I have to kind of figure it out. But <laughs> I'm still having fun watching it. Don't get don't get me wrong. I absolutely you know love what is going on in a lot of different uh, professional wrestling organizations today. I'm not just sitting here trashing WWE or AEW. I, you know, I, uh, I watch everything. I do watch AEW. Don't get me wrong. I watch WWE. Everybody hears me each week here on this podcast talking about it. I don't, uh, I say what I like about it and then I say what I don't like about it, you know, and then I'll just hype up whatever I do like of, uh, other organizations. There's a lot yeah. out there today. You, if you don't like something, there's going to be an organization for your taste out there. There's going to be a wrestling promotion for your taste. If you like old school wrestling, give the NWA or Championship Wrestling from Hollywood a try. There's a lot of organizations like that. If you just like good old fashioned wrestling, yeah, I think you know one that I've been a fan of for years. And and I'll be honest, I kind of, since the pandemic, I kind of haven't been following as closely. But MLW is another one. They've always kind of got that throwback old school feel but with a kind of a new yeah. spin to it yeah. um this is like you said there's so much out there uh the problem is there's just there's so much out there so there's almost too, there's really like too much out there yeah uh, you know especially it's if, you're gonna, if, if, if it's hard to keep up with everything if you want so it's like obviously i can't keep up with everything i, I try to at least read about it but I, I it's hard to actually watch sit down and watch especially uh, with someone like a work schedule such as mine, where I'm working, you know, six days a week, uh, uh, twelve hour days, so it's it's really hard to keep up with everything. Especially if you're going to try to keep up with the, you know, the two major promotions, AEW and WWE, because the, just the content they put out every week is a ton, you know, right between yeah. the two of them. So you kind of got to pick and choose, you know, you get a little bit of this, get a little bit of that, maybe. Uh, Watch a you know condensed version on Hulu of Raw or something like that, because three hours of Raw is way too long. We all know that. Which brings me to something else. You know, I've heard a lot of speculation. You know, everybody's hoping and praying that the uh, Triple H is going to cut Raw back to two hours. But something I thought I was thinking about is that possible? Because I don't know what the deal is with USA. Is you would USA let them do something like that? My understanding is that when they made it three hours, it was at the, I don't know if it was at the demand, but for lack of a better term, that it was that uh, USA was the ones that wanted it. Right. So um, if it, from uh, it was an interview that came, the resurfaced uh, from a couple of years back, 
Triple H, I, I'm not exactly sure where it was, maybe Sports Illustrated or something, um, where he was quoted as saying that if there was anything he could change, excuse me, about Monday Night Raw, that he would go back to two hours. Um, if that is all at all possible, that could benefit the show quite a bit. You should, could have a faster pace, a faster pace show while still putting on quality wrestling. Do you realize that? I know it's not um, 100% what it should be, but there has been somewhat more wrestling on the broadcast for the last couple of weeks. And uh, I know there's still been the same amount of uh, backstage bullshit, but, you know, um, it's just like the matches are longer and have been pretty decent quality. And I have a feeling that, you know, we're only a couple of weeks into his uh, his new position here. So we got to give it time to actually see the full effect. I mean, you look at SmackDown. I mean, SmackDown for the last, what, maybe the last year or so, it's like they utilize their two hours a whole lot better than Raw utilizes their three. Just because, right. I don't, you know, once you get to three hours, it's too much time to fill. I'm sorry, I don't, I don't yeah. care how much talent you have. It's too much time to fill. Too, too many. It's just too much. But SmackDown's been really good for, for over a year now. And, it, yeah. you know, and it's not big. With two hours, not like everybody's getting five minute matches. They're doing longer matches on SmackDown than they are on Raw. You know, a lot of times they'll only do like two or three matches if you think about it, but they're having longer matches in that two hours. I calculated when I went, I believe that there was three matches at the uh, one that I went to with the with the. I'm not counting the dark matches that. Uh, that took place. I'm talking about on the actual broadcast was actually only three matches, but I'm like, the matches were pretty, had pretty decent time to them. Right. Whereas like raw, you always hear these nightmares are gone. The first hour had two matches and they had a total of three minutes pro wrestling in the first hour or something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I'd say during the attitude area, maybe the ruthless aggression era that was totally possible, but you know, I think that they're added more time to it you know, and uh, made it somewhat better. And, uh, yeah, th- th- I'm very curious to see where the, the pro wrestling landscape goes, you know, as we kind of come full circle on this conversation. But, um, you know, yeah. you know, we, there's a couple other things that we, we haven't talked about. Uh, do, you have, do you have any more notes there, sir? Uh, as far as that stuff goes, no, but I would like to say that we've had two passings this past week. In the world of professional wrestling, the legendary judo Gene LaBelle has passed away. He, uh, let's see, he was 89 years old. Okay. Born 1932 and uh, passed away August 9th, which was just two days ago. Uh, this man um, was legendary, probably the precursor or started the precursor to mixed martial arts. One of the very first guys that would get in there with, uh, um, you know, other forms of uh, discipline. He would uh, jujitsu black belt. He, he held a lot of titles, uh, believe it or not. And um, let's see. He, uh, I believe that he instructed, uh, didn't he instruct Chuck Norris, Bruce Lee, and uh, Steven Seagal that he uh, worked with? He may have. I, I... Yeah. So, and I believe that he ran uh, the NWA territory for a number of years, uh, Hollywood wrestling out in the, I believe it started in the later 60s and then ran through the 80s. It was certainly a, a, a steady figure on a pro wrestling scene, e- even up to his last days, really. Yeah. 
Very well known. Do you want to uh, throw in any other lines about Judo Gene? I mean, you know, the reputation speaks for itself. When you have, you know, people from the pro wrestling business from the last 50 years, I mean, right up to the modern day people like Ronda Rousey speaking out on you, uh, you, you made an impact. So, so rest in peace, Gene LaBelle. Uh, not only that, Mike Masters, a.k.a. Rocky Jones, who was a Northeast staple for many, many decades. I think believe that he wrestled for six, uh, for, uh, excuse me, five decades, six decades, excuse me, according to my notes here. He was 68 years old. He started jo uh, doing jobs in the WWF. Uh, of course, we're familiar, or excuse me, I'm familiar with him mostly uh, working for the Savoldis, ICW, IWCCW, etc., and uh, he went on to found the East Coast Professional Wrestling uh, School and promotion with uh, Gino Caruso. So I want to say rest in peace, Rocky Jones. Hey, Rocky, uh, you know, that, that one hit home uh, for me uh, when I was a kid in the 80s. Independent, independent wrestling was not like right now. It's like independent wrestling. Everybody knows about it. It wasn't like that back then, you know. Um, you might get a rare show that you might see, you know, your pro wrestling coming this Friday night and you just assume it's the TV guys. It's not necessarily, you, you might get, uh, you know, somebody who's cast off who just left WWF or whatever. But, um, you know, you and I have talked about a guy named Mark Tendler. He's the guy who, you know, my uncle trained with, and he, he used to promote shows on long Island, a little town called Shirley. And it was the East end arena. And, um, Rocky Jones was he was he was there every single month and he was probably more most months he was probably the top babyface unless like Bru unless Bruno Jr. was there because they ran the Bruno Jr. versus Larry Zabisco feud through there and but Rocky Jones was always like if not the top babyface the second top baby uh, on the card so you know yeah uh, you know not only that but Rocky's tra trained uh, with or has trained you know. Um, you know, some friends of mine over the years. Uh, I know he worked closely with Kodiak Bear, um, you know, as far as training people. Another uh, another Northeast India guy, Kodiak Bear. Uh, but no, Rocky, and, and a funny story about Rocky, okay? So, and I, and I might get this slightly twisted, but um, I went to a Pro Wrestling USA show. And Slaughter, you know, that was when Slaughter joined the AWA. So Slaughter was, um, I want to say Slaughter fought Kendo Nagasaki uh, on that show. But so Slaughter was on a card. And in the preliminary match, the, the, the opening match, they had, and, and this is years after Private Jim Nelson. Like, like, he wasn't even around anymore. But they had a preliminary match. Private Nelson was in the preliminary match. Well, I'm thinking, oh, man, it's going to be the old Private Jim Nelson, right? Well, lo and behold, it's Rocky Jones with the American, you know, the, the camouflage and everything. I wish I had photos of it. So Rocky's been everywhere and done everything, you know, from Hawaii to California to Japan. And uh, and I'll be honest with you, I didn't know he did. He was he was as uh, traveled as he was until, you know, his passing. I just knew him as Rocky Jones, the indie wrestler. Yeah. There was a great uh, article up on him uh, about after his passing up on uh, slamwrestling.com. Go check it out. It's very good. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. I just I was just mostly familiar with him from his Savoldi days. That's it. Yeah, our old buddy Greg Oliver did a great job with that uh, with that article on Rocky Jones. 
Yeah, former guest here on the uh, PWZ podcast. Uh, yeah, there was um, a lot of really cool stuff. Uh, I'm sorry, he had a lot of really cool experience. Like he was out there. There was a, like you said, indie wrestling was different back in the day. It wasn't televised each and every week. There wasn't so many. There was no internet either. So the other thing about Rocky too is uh, how how uh, how old was he at his passing? He was not he a was young 60, man. Sixty eight years old. I didn't. I didn't so he wasn't. He was, wasn't like a forty year old guy. He wasn't. Nope. You know, he still had life to live, but. It, Throat cancer, unfortunately, took him. But Rocky was still wrestling yes. until recent. I mean, very recently. Uh, and he looked great. If you saw recent photos of him, you know, uh, I'd see he'd post photos on Facebook and stuff. He was in tr- phenomenal shape. Um, so, yeah, just just very sad. From what I understand, too, um, you know, I think it was was it Tommy Dreamer, I think, was talking about him. And, and Tommy Dreamer says, listen. The, the poor guy died from throat cancer. The guy never smoked a cigarette a day in his life, but it just happened, man. Yeah, things like that could happen. People don't realize it. Uh, I believe the same thing. Did the same thing happen to Doctor Death? Didn't he die of throat cancer? Was it throat cancer? I, I don't remember. Yeah, but yeah, I believe that. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Andy, do you have anything else you'd like to speak about? Um, not particularly. Just had a good, having a good time here. Oh, don't forget to check out um, the t-shirts are on sale tonight, aren't they? Yeah, go check it out. Uh, you can go to the link pwzpodcast.com. 35% off uh, throughout the whole entire weekend. And um, yeah, t-shirts as low as $14. You guys should go get your one. There's a bunch of new designs up there. So if you want them, go get them. Lots of fun. Coffee mugs, all that fun stuff. Andy, where can you uh, where can you be found? Well, just uh, right there. Uh, I'm not good at this. Right there. Right there. There you go. Just, uh, and yeah, you know, look me up on Twitter. I'll be there. I'll find you'll find me, and uh, that's about it. That's it. All right. Don't forget to uh, check out any of the links. Uh, PWZ podcast uh, for Twitter and Facebook and PWZ network on Instagram. Thank you for tuning in, and have a great night, everybody.